The History Channel original podcast. It's the late 1800s, and a pharmacist in Atlanta has a terrible secret. An old war wound has left him in constant pain, and he's become addicted to a painkiller, to morphine. He desperately wants to free himself from his addiction, so he uses the tools of his trade. He's been trying for years to create a new elixir that will end his pain and his addiction, and he's about to add an exotic ingredient. One from thousands of miles away near the equator, a leaf that indigenous people chew to ease pain. Coca. The pharmacist doesn't know it yet, but he is so close. Not to creating a new painkiller, but to inventing one of the most successful products in history. If you're talking about people who helped to make America what it is, there's absolutely no question. You know, at one point, Coca-Cola was the second best known word on earth. It's been said that pain is a valuable tool. Perhaps no painful wound in history was more valuable than John Pemberton's. The pharmacist converted his suffering into the first national soft drink. Coca-Cola is now served 1.9 billion times a day. You can buy it in over 200 countries. On average, more than 10,000 people around the world are drinking Coca-Cola beverages every second. Pemberton's successor, a pharmacist turned entrepreneur named Asa Candler, turned the soft drink into an iconic global brand. The rise of Coca-Cola was the perfect mixture of a chemical genius and a brilliant promoter, one that included a sprinkling of ruthlessness and just a few milligrams of cocaine. Welcome to The Food That Built America, a new podcast from the History Channel and Ozzy, based on the History Channel's documentary series, The Food That Built America. I'm Sean Braswell. Henry Hines, Milton Hershey, John and Will Kellogg, C.W. Post, the McDonald's Brothers. For generations of Americans, all these food titans are household names, but you don't know their stories. Before they were brand names, they were brilliant, sometimes ruthless visionaries. They revolutionized food and changed the landscape of America forever. Our first season tells the stories of these people behind the food that built America. Along the way, they also built cities, invented new technologies, and helped win wars. First up, Coca-Cola. Lieutenant Colonel John Stith Pemberton, age 34, should never have been wounded in the Civil War. Confederate General Robert E. Lee had already surrendered. Abraham Lincoln had already been assassinated. But on April 16, 1865, Pemberton was still with the Confederate Army's 3rd Georgia Cavalry. They were guarding a bridge on the Alabama border. Night fell, and Union troops attacked. Like the Civil War itself, the battle ended in Confederate defeat. Pemberton was slashed across his chest and abdomen by a saber. Under his uniform, he wore a money belt. If he had not, the saber wound would have likely killed him. Never forget what a horrific experience that Civil War was for the Americans. It's very difficult to imagine the carnage. After the Civil War, John Pemberton was healing from his wound. 
so was the rest of the fractured United States. This is Jessica Harris, a culinary historian and author of High on the Hog. People were looking for a way to be better, to reestablish what might have been normalcy. John Pemberton built a thriving pharmacy business in Columbus, Georgia. He moved to Atlanta after the Civil War to make his fortune. It did not go well at first. He was never a great businessman. He would go bankrupt and would, would start over again. Mark Pendergrast is the author of For God, Country, and Coca-Cola. John Pemberton was kind of a creative genius who was tragic in his own way. Tragic partly because of his secret reliance on a painkiller. Many wounded Civil War veterans suffered from army disease. This was a euphemism for morphine addiction. What had started as a way to ease the pain of their war injuries was now a much larger crutch. So like many Americans suffering from anxiety and other ills, Pemberton turned to health tonics, patent medicines. Patent medicines more broadly in the late 19th century were very popular, but also fairly adulterated. <laughs> there were no real laws um, or regulations controlling what people could say about their patent medicines um, or what was in them. This is Sarah Wasberg Johnson, a culinary historian and host of the food history podcast, History Bites. The claims of any particular product were outlandish, claiming to cure everything from tuberculosis to cancer to itchy scalp, you know, all in the same product. The peddlers of patent medicines were pioneers in the field of advertising. By the 1880s, there were advertisements everywhere for tonics and other concoctions. Newspapers were filled with bombastic claims, like Lone Star Liniment, it has no equal for man or beast. Mostly patent medicines were either ineffective because they just contained nothing that would actually help you, um, or they were mostly alcohol and narcotics like opiates. Um, and that, that was what gave me results, is that you were consuming these things that were not particularly good for you. Still, clever promoters could make fortunes selling patent medicines. John Pemberton, too, wanted to cash in on the craze. He invented a slew of products, from triplex liver pills to something called Prescription 4711 for rheumatism. But it was Pemberton's own ailment that would lead him to success. The pharmacist was looking for a new form of pain relief for his war wound and an end to his morphine addiction, even if he had to invent it himself. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In the decades after the Civil War, life was changing quickly across the nation. People were moving to cities. And factories popped up all over the place. We were in the midst, at that time, of 
a capitalist revolution where you had steam engines and railroads bringing products from the far corners of the earth and where they could be mass distributed. Mark Pendergrast. The pace of change was so astonishing that they felt as disoriented as we do today by the rate of technology and by the new products that were available to them. There was a feeling that the world was changing much more rapidly than it had in the past. H.W. Brands is a history professor at the University of Texas at Austin. It's probably fair to say that American life changed more in the 50 years from 1850 to 1900 than it had changed in the 200 years before that. The United States was growing as never before. Cities are being built, jobs are being founded in cities, people are moving to cities. They're moving to cities from farms in America, they're moving to cities from countries overseas. And all of these people moving to all of these cities needed to be fed. The Industrial Revolution led to another revolution in the way food was produced. And it brought a new wave of bold entrepreneurs like John Pemberton. Pemberton investigated a plant that grew high in the mountains of Peru. For thousands of years, people had chewed it, the coca leaf, which of course contains cocaine. Cocaine was supposed to be this wonder drug and nobody recognized its potential harm or, or addictive quality. A wine infused with coca leaves was wildly successful internationally in the 1860s, 70s, and 80s. Everybody drank this stuff. It was supposed to be a cure-all. Pemberton claimed that the coca leaf, quote, not only preserves the health of all who use it, but prolongs life to a very great old age. But the Atlanta pharmacist wasn't satisfied with coca alone. He added different ingredients to his elixir. Finally, an extract of an exotic seed, a cola nut. If you think about old school pharmacy, it was all plant-based. Cola nuts originate on the African continent. It was considered improper for man to offer women cola because it was a stimulant, because it was intoxicating. Pemberton's creation was a coca and cola hybrid drink, an alcoholic beverage called French wine coca. It was advertised as a painkiller, an antidepressant, and an aphrodisiac. But the late 19th century was not an auspicious time to introduce a new alcoholic drink. You know, prohibition didn't just hatch. Howard Markell is a history professor at the University of Michigan. It really uh, emerged because a lot of American wives were concerned about the amount of alcohol their husbands were consuming. The temperance movement would lead to a nationwide prohibition in the 20th century. But it started well before that. In 1886, Atlanta became the first major city to ban the sale of alcohol. Well, French wine coca was doing very well by that time, and Pemberton was frantically uh, upset because he thought that it was going to be illegal. The temperance movement pushed Pemberton to give up on French wine coca, but it boosted a whole new market. What do you do when you're not going to drink alcohol? Soda fountains are becoming more and more and more and more popular. And people can be social at soda fountains. In the hot summer months across the South, soda fountains inside drugstores were booming. You could buy sodas flavored with orange, cherry, lemon, and more. Pemberton started experimenting with a new cola and coca leaf concoction, a non-alcoholic drink to sell in soda fountains. 
but he was running out of time. John Pemberton was 55 years old and his health was declining. He had heartburn, an ulcer, and bones that ached with rheumatism. He was often doubled over in pain. There was only one thing that let him keep working. It also made his condition worse, morphine. Pemberton was a morphine addict and he was actually looking for a substitute, but he created that magic secret original recipe. And that was the genesis of Coca-Cola, which I think is sort of amazing. This man really created the recipe, created the formula, and fell on his sword multiple times trying to come up with the thing. Adam Richman is a television host and author of Straight Up Tasty. He was using uh, the coca plant and cola nut and was creating these things and these tinctures and fine-tuning it and working in nutmeg oils and working in lemon oils and lime oils and coriander and things that sort of ultimately comprise Coca-Cola syrup. Not to mention a great deal of sugar. Finally, Pemberton figured it out. He named his new drink after its two primary ingredients, Coca-Cola. John Pemberton created what today we would call a disruptive product, a product that redefines its category. Coca-Cola was a health tonic for headaches and anxiety, and it was a fountain drink with an original flavor. Soon red signs were urging patrons to drink Coca-Cola, complete with the famous script logo that Coke still uses. In May 1887, the Atlanta Constitution newspaper reported, quote, the success of this company has been something phenomenal. But John Pemberton would not have long to savor his achievement. Coca-Cola was successful locally. But in the middle of this, Pemberton got sicker. It turns out he had stomach cancer, and his morphine addiction had taken a firmer hold than ever. As successful as Coca-Cola was, it failed to meet Pemberton's original goal. It did not cure his morphine addiction. Desperate, Pemberton reached out to friends for help. He wrote in one letter, I am sick and I don't believe I will ever get out of this bed. The only thing I have is Coca-Cola. Pemberton also took out an ad in the local paper. He offered a 50% stake in his business for $2,000. That's about 50,000 in current dollars. Today, half of the Coca-Cola company would be worth over 100 billion. Pemberton's offer caught the eye of another Atlanta druggist. Asa Candler was also an entrepreneur, and he was the man who was going to make Coca-Cola famous across the United States. Without each other, we wouldn't know who they were today. John Hine is the author of Fast Food Maniac. You need to have the inventor. You need to have the person who can develop the product that no one else has seen before and can really change the game. But you need to have the advertising and marketing and business savvy in order to be this successful. Asa Candler went to Atlanta with only $1.75 in his pocket. 
He was constantly on the make, looking for a single product that could make his fortune. Candler was the son of a prosperous merchant turned gold prospector. At age 35, he was on the hunt to strike gold himself. He never was formally trained as a pharmacist, but he apprenticed. He married the boss's daughter named Lucy Howard, and he was a hustler. He was a short, energetic man, a workaholic who disapproved of alcohol. And like John Pemberton, he suffered from a variety of physical ailments. He had tried Coca-Cola and he thought that it cured his headaches. And that was one reason he wanted to get hold of the company. Candler wrote a letter to his brother Warren. You know how I suffer with headaches. Well, some days ago, a friend suggested that I try Coca-Cola. I did and was relieved. Candler wanted to get hold of Coca-Cola. And by the time he wanted to, Pemberton was dying and had already sold off two-thirds of the Coca-Cola company. Candler bought up as much of the company as he could get from anyone who had a stake. He even bought Pemberton's last one-third share, the share he had hoped to leave to his son. All that Pemberton's family had now were the Coca-Cola name and the branding rights. Candler opened up his own factory in Atlanta, above a saloon on Decatur Street. He was not popular with the neighbors. His 40-gallon kettle of hot syrup would boil over, and the sticky mixture dripped through the floorboards right onto the patrons below. On August 16, 1888, John Pemberton died. He was 57 years old. Asa Candler was a pallbearer at the funeral, and ever the opportunist, he apparently saw one more chance to expand his share of Coca-Cola. Supposedly, Candler approached Pemberton's widow at his funeral and persuaded her to sell him the brand for a very small amount of money. It was really quite, quite an amazing story. The inventor of Coca-Cola was laid to rest in his hometown of Columbus, Georgia. No one really thinks about Doc Pemberton. I don't think anybody even knows who Doc Pemberton is. And it was so sad because this man really created the recipe, trying his whole life to come up with this formula, and he never really saw what it was going to become. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Asa Candler began calling himself the sole proprietor of Coca-Cola. He was determined to spread the product's success beyond Atlanta. 
Candler was a driven hustler who was going to succeed no matter what at something and who wasn't going to stop until he did. And it didn't hurt that Coca-Cola could be a rather addictive product. The drink's combination of caffeine and cocaine created many habitual users. Some called them Coca-Cola fiends. It's a good question as to whether people drank original Coca-Cola primarily for the buzz they got or because they liked the taste. But uh, I, I suspect that the primary reason was, was the drug impact. Salesmen found themselves bombarded with questions about the drug content. At one company-wide meeting in Atlanta, they pleaded with Candler to remove the cocaine. Candler responded, Do you really want us to change Coca-Cola, the purest, most healthful drink the world has ever seen? Never. There is nothing wrong with Coca-Cola, and I will not change it. That was the end of that discussion, but not the end of the controversy over the contents of the world's most iconic soft drink. Asa Candler wasn't just Coca-Cola's lead proprietor. He was its chief evangelist. According to his son, he once said, if people knew the good qualities of Coca-Cola as I know them, it would be necessary for us to lock the doors of our factories and have a guard with a shotgun to make the people line up to buy it. Candler kept fewer than 30 people on his home office staff. Instead, he spent his money on advertising and an early, ingenious form of franchising. Candler sold Coca-Cola syrup to an independent distributor. Candler himself didn't believe in bottling, and so he sold the bottling rights for a dollar. A dollar. But what he did was, he sold them bottling rights, but he didn't sell them the syrup. They still had to buy the syrup from him, and they added carbonated water. It meant a smaller profit margin for Coca-Cola, but the drink spread quickly across the United States. Soon Coca-Cola was a national brand. John Pemberton's ambition was finally realized, but not by him. And Candler's new endeavor was not just a business, it was a vocation. Asa Candler uh, had sales conferences where he sang Onward Christian Soldiers and where, you know, his brother, the bishop, sometimes spoke. So it was a religious calling. They were missionaries, the early Coca-Cola people, who totally believed that they were purveying the most wholesome, great drink in the world to people. By the turn of the century, Coca-Cola was wildly popular in America, but there were still many battles ahead. Social and political pressures regarding the cocaine content of the drink intensified. Asa Candler eventually gave in to them. He removed one of John Pemberton's namesake ingredients from the Coca-Cola recipe. Asa Candler very quietly hired a chemical company to decocainize it in 1903. And since then, virtually no cocaine has been in Coca-Cola. It still does contain decocainized coca leaf extract. To this day, Coca-Cola is the source of legal importation of whole coca leaf, the only legal importation of whole coca leaf into this country. The landmark Pure Food and Drug Act became law in 1906. The government started to crack down on false labeling in American products. The federal government claimed, with some justification, that Coca-Cola was mislabeled because, ironically, it no longer had cocaine in it. So you can't call it Coca-Cola. And it had a deleterious added product, which was caffeine. 
And so they grabbed 40 barrels and 20 kegs and mounted this huge lawsuit against them. In 1911, the government sued Coca-Cola, trying to force it to remove caffeine from its formula. Federal lawyers argued it was harmful to children. It was quite an amusing lawsuit in many ways. They said that it killed uh, rabbits and frogs, but that was because they had them breathe it in. <laughs> Asa Candler fought the lawsuit, but finally he relented on caffeine too, up to a point. As a result of that lawsuit, Coca-Cola agreed to cut the amount of caffeine in half, and Coca-Cola stopped using children in their ads forevermore. So they didn't show anyone under 12 actually drinking the beverage. Coca-Cola made Asa Candler the richest man in Atlanta. Eventually, he was elected mayor. John Pemberton, the inventor of Coca-Cola, died a poor man and was buried in an unmarked grave. But Candler turned Pemberton's brilliant but relatively unknown soda tonic into a national sensation. Coca-Cola has continued to conquer the planet in the years since Pemberton and Candler. By World War I, it was the single best advertised product in the United States. Wherever Americans looked, they could not avoid seeing the Coca-Cola script. During 1913, the company advertised on over 100 million items, including thermometers, cardboard cutouts, and metal signs, Japanese fans and calendars, two million soda fountain trays, 10 million matchbooks, 20 million blotters, 25 million baseball cards, and innumerable signs made of cardboard and metal. Coca-Cola also made Christmas jollier when Americans needed it most, during the Great Depression. That's when the company came up with an ad campaign to boost its wintertime sales. The Santa Claus that's so familiar to us today was popularized by those ads. The chubby gentleman with the snowy beard dressed in a red suit and hat trimmed with white fur. It's not a coincidence that red and white are also the colors of the Coke logo. For many years in this country, if you wanted something cold to drink, you asked for a Coke. If I'm going for a soda, I'm not thinking about all the brands out there, I'm thinking about a Coke. Coca-Cola also went into battle alongside American soldiers during the Second World War. Coca-Cola was exempted from sugar rationing during World War II for use by the military. It was deemed an essential morale booster for the troops. People wrote into the company uh, and said that getting a Coca-Cola was so important to them, they didn't know what to do. They didn't want to drink it because then it would be gone, so they just sort of cherished it. Coca-Cola permeated the home front after the war. It infiltrated convenience stores, vending machines, schools, ballparks, movie theaters, hotel minibars. It embedded itself in movies, books, song lyrics, and art. It became much more than the sum of the ingredients in its famous secret formula. Well, the original Coca-Cola formula was kept under you know, lock and key, and still is. At the moment, it's locked in the world of Coca-Cola Museum in Atlanta. But, you know, a good chemist can figure out what's in the drink. Uh, and they can come very, very close to getting it. They might not be able to totally replicate it. But the point really is not 
the actual ingredients. The point is what you think about it. So it's really, you're drinking emotion. You're drinking an idea. Coca-Cola became synonymous with progress and the American way of life. It spread across the globe and became perhaps the most recognizable brand on the planet. You know, there are commercials that I've heard for Coke. There are vintage Coke signs that people collect. And I think that's really when you know you're more than just a food. You look at how much the world has changed in the last 10, 20, 50, 100 years, yet we're still drinking Coke. That's a piece of Americana that's in you. And Coca-Cola was in a lot of, of popular songs of the era. Oh, mother, you wouldn't know your child. Oh, mother, I'm getting awfully wild. I am drinking Coca-Cola now. On the level, I'm a little devil. Next week on The Food That Built America. The Battle Creek Sanitarium was a crazy place. Some of the things that went on were wacko. A tale of two American breakfast cereal dynasties and the sanitarium where they began. It's the story of an innovative doctor. John Harvey Kellogg considered his food invention to be preventive medicine. And a patient who came to the doctor's sanitarium with a nervous breakdown. Charlie Post failed at every business he ever created. And walked out with a billion dollar idea. I mean, some would call it thievery, others would call it smart American ingenuity and business. This episode of the Food That Built America podcast was written and produced by Sean Braswell, Maeve McGoran, and Julia Linus Goodman. Iorio Digizua and Cecily Meza Martinez also produced. Jesse Katz, Jim Pascarella, and Mary Donahue were executive producers. Sound designed by Alice Winkler and Chris Hoff. Special thanks to McKamey Lynn and Tracy Moran. The Food That Built America was originally produced by Lucky 8 TV for the History Channel. You can see many historical photos related to Coca-Cola on the show, including American GIs enjoying their government-issued Cokes, even in the trenches. Please make sure to subscribe to The Food That Built America on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more great history podcasts, check out History This Week from History or Flashback from Ozzy, which I also host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.